Hey everyone, welcome to Hub City Church. We are ordinary people following an extraordinary God together. If you want more information about Hub City Church, find us online at thehubcitychurch.com connect and fill out our digital connect card. Now let's dive into this week's message. Matthew 6, 25 through 34. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store foods in barns. Your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. This is the word of the Lord. Well, happy Sunday, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. It's good to be back. Um, I was out the last two weeks and want to thank my friend, Pastor Ben, for coming and sharing and continuing our series about the questions that Jesus asked as we look at some of the 300 questions that Jesus asked during his ministry time and we're just hitting about nine of them. So uh, we're hitting a few, and while I was out, um, I'm just um, I'm grateful for uh, friendship like that, for him to be able to step in, and I'll talk more about what God was stirring in me as, as uh, I was just hitting the pause button. And I think um, I love God's timing. Here I needed to just hit the pause button personally, and then I come back, and the question I get to wrestle with is what Jesus throws at us, can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And I'm like, okay, God, thank you so much. I get it. God may not always be the loudest voice, but he can sometimes be very repetitive. And as I was wrestling through this uh, and these times of just hitting the pause button personally, uh, I found these two books that really uh, encouraged me and God used to just speak life and articulate some things that I was feeling below the surface, and I want to just highlight these two resources uh, so that you can, uh, if this is where you're at, if what we talk about with anxiety and worry is, is man, if I'm reading your email today, um, I, I would recommend put these on your Amazon list or your Audible list. Uh, one is Emotionally Healthy Spirituality uh, by Peter Scazzaro, and the other is The Cost of Control, Why We Crave It and the Anxiety It Gives Us, and The Real Power God Promises by Sharon Cody Miller? Yeah. Uh, there's, there's those, and after service, you can come take a look at these, but I'll tell you, I, I was reading these books, uh, and they were so easy to read in terms of it just felt like I was just sitting with them over coffee, and they were just speaking into my life, uh, and God was using these books to articulate and, and encourage and speak life into me, and I know it can uh, be true that I'm not alone in this, because the more I've talked about this over the last two weeks with people uh, kind of offline and, and, and separately, I've realized 
I am not the only person that worries. Interesting. So uh, this might be a great resource for you. Maybe you do a book group or a discussion or life group or something like that. Uh, that might be a great thing for you to, to tackle this summer as well. Uh, as I was thinking about worry and as I was reading about worry and anxiety, one of the ways that worry was illustrated was a rocking chair. That worry is a lot like a rocking chair in that when we encounter conflicts or text messages that are fun, uh, emails, conversation points, and our brains, what's going on internally is like a rocking chair. We're just going back and forth and back and forth and back. And we're trying to solve these problems, trying to figure these things out, trying to get solutions to what's going on. And how many of you, when you think about the worry and anxiety that you carry throughout the week, yeah, this would illustrate what's going on internally. Just that back and forth, back and forth. I'm worried about my finances. I'm worried about my family. I'm worried about my health. I'm worried about all these things. And it's just illustrated by this rocking chair because it is this constant motion and churning and movement that's taking place, but nothing's really progressing. Nothing's really happening, right? We're just internally rocking back and forth. And today, Jesus' question about can worry add a single moment to your life is going to cause us to look at our tendency to worry and challenge that with our need to sit and rest and be still in his presence and just be with Jesus. To be grounded in his love and in his presence in the midst of our chaos, in the midst of feeling overwhelmed, we can still feel the stability of God. And I have these two chairs up here just to illustrate that this morning. Because for myself, and I'm, I believe many of us, our lives are like rocking chairs, constantly in motion. Not just throughout our calendar, but throughout our days and our moments. And internally, that is how we feel, constantly in motion. And what we're going to see is Jesus' question provokes this thought that we're going to just, we're going to hang on to this morning. Worry takes life. Jesus gives life. Worry takes life. Jesus wants to give life. And in this passage that Katie read just a moment ago, we see this played out, right? We see this truth. And what's interesting is to think about worry is something that all of us struggle with. doesn't matter. It's not generational, right? Gen Z you worry. Gen X, you worry. Baby boomers, you worried. Millennials, you worried, right? 2,000 years ago, Jesus is talking about worry, which means, I don't know what generation they are. Gen zero, I don't know. Like, they were there, generation AD, I don't know. Although it was before he was dead, so I don't know. Anyways, we're not gonna get into that, but generation starting time. Uh, they worried. 2,000 years ago, people were overwhelmed with worry. And just for a moment, let's think about what did people worry about back then because they didn't have smartphones and email and social media. They didn't have democracy conflicts that stir within us. They didn't have 401ks that were plummeting because of the stock market. What were they so stressed about? 2,000 years ago, what was Jesus' audience worried about? Let's shout it out. Getting killed. Okay, yep, getting killed. There was an oppressive government in place at that time. The Romans decided to show up in town and take over. There was 
Maybe the threat of being killed by them or being killed by somebody else because they wanted your stuff. They didn't like you. What else? What are they worried about 2,000 years ago? Taxes. Without representation? Yes. Sandal blisters? Okay. Identity. Who am I? Where is the Messiah? Where is the Savior? We've been waiting. Where is he? In this text, what does Jesus reveal about their worry? What are they worried about? Their livelihood. What am I going to eat? They didn't know when their next meal was. They didn't have a pantry stock loaded with food that their kids would go to and say, there's nothing in our house. And you're like, open your eyes. Parents in the house, yes? You got tons of food. Or they go to their cupboard, or they go to their uh, closets, they walk into them surrounded by clothes. I have nothing to wear. Uh huh. But they worried about what to wear, where they're gonna sleep, where they're gonna eat. They worried about their health. Am I gonna live? Am I gonna get sick? Now let's think about ourselves. What do we worry about? What are we worried about? I know we wanna keep that private. What are we worried about? Taxes. Being killed, <laughs> sandal blisters. Ah, <laughs> oh, sandal blisters. Health. Anybody worried about their finances last week? No hands. I want to hang out with you. You've got it dialed in. Okay. Anyone worried about their health? Anybody trying to control their health? And that brings anxiety. Anybody worried about how they're going to pay for stuff this week? Anybody worried about your calendar, your career, your future, your job stability? Anybody worried about the government? I'm not going to go there, but anybody worried about it? Anybody worried about your future, your kids, your grandkids? Nobody, there's like zero hands. For those watching online, there are like zero hands. Come on. We're Pentecostal church. Let's raise a hand to the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yes, we worry. We all worry. For generations, we've worried. And I want you to think about those things because that is the reality in which we operate and we live. And as I was learning about this and processing, kind of putting some vocabulary to my worry, I, in, in one of these books, discovered this thing called the five essential truths of life. And it is these five truths that we have to learn to confront in order to develop a healthier and growing spirituality. But they are, we're going to reveal this top ten or top five list. It's kind of a downer of a list, okay? So I want you to be prepared. It's not like chipper rainbows and sunshine. Uh, it is a top five list uh, accumulated by this priest and author named Richard Rohr. And it was his observation in life. These are true to everyone. But again not sunshine and rainbows. Let's take a look at the top five truths of life. Number one, life is hard. How many of you would agree? Life is hard. This is a fact. This is true. Number two, you are not that important. I told you it wasn't a fun list. Your life is not about you. Number three, your life is not about you. Number four, you are not in control. That is true. And number five, unless you are Elijah or somebody else from the Old Testament or Jesus, you are going to die. 
But we wrestle with these truths. We see these and we're like, yeah, okay, I get it. Those are true. I don't like that list. But there's some truth to those things. But as I saw that list, I, I, this is how I, I read it. Those are the things that stress me out because I'm trying to reverse them. These are his observations about life and that these things are true. And these are the things that I spend energy rocking back and forth trying to figure out how to change. How do I reverse this? Right? How many of us stress about how we can make life easier? Number one is life is hard. I'm going to stress about I want to make life easier. How many of us are worried about our reputation and our value? Okay? I'm not that important. Well, I'm going to work really hard to be important. Oh, you say I'm... You know, life is not all about me. Well, I am stressed to make life all about me. I am consumed with myself. You say I'm not in control. I am going to fight for control. You say I'm going to die. Well, I'm going to agonize with how I can prolong my time here on earth. You see, I take that, five, that list of five, and I bet I could take most of the things I worry about and put them into one of those five categories. And I become consumed and worried and overwhelmed by them. And I know I shouldn't worry. Anybody this morning that woke up and I'm saying, oh, don't worry about life, you're like, yeah, I get it, Sean. I know I shouldn't worry, but I do worry, right? I know I shouldn't eat McDonald's, but hey, I contribute to their profit margin all the time. I know I shouldn't eat it, but I do. I know I shouldn't worry, but I do. And what Jesus' question will do is challenge us to reevaluate, is that how we're supposed to live our lives? These statements may be true, but, but are we meant to stress about them in that way? Are we meant to agonize over them in that way? Jesus' question, let's look at that question. Can all of your worries add a single moment to your life? It's a thought-provoking question. We stress and we worry and we become overwhelmed by these things. We're constantly in motion trying to figure out solutions. And yet, Jesus asked this question and it causes me to think, no. It doesn't add to our life. Worrying does not contribute to my greater peace and wholeness in life. And yet, we all do it. We're all stressed. So instead of adding to my life, what Jesus is communicating is that worry actually takes from my life. Worry's taking from me. It's subtracting from me. There's three things that I see worry does to subtract from my life. One is that worry takes me out of the moment. Worry gets my focus off of the present moment I'm in so that I can think about how I can answer that email, answer that text, solve that problem, resolve that conflict. How many of you can relate to this? Worry takes you out of the moment. How many precious moments have we missed with our family, our friends, our loved ones? How many precious moments of peace have we corrupted because we're worried about something else, not having to do with that moment? I'll give you an example. Last January, I was on a Caribbean cruise. Who doesn't want to be in the Caribbean in January, right? Again, no hands. One hand, one person wants to be in the Caribbean in January. Yes, I was in the Caribbean in January. It was fantastic. It was beautiful. 80-something degrees, crystal clear waters. I'm swimming. It's great. And we pull into port. I turn my phone on, and a text message comes through. And it's not a nice text message. 
And here I am in the Caribbean, enjoying the sunshine. I'm just floating in this pool, and I am worried about how to respond to this text. I, I am taken, transported, not physically, but mentally and emotionally transported from this Caribbean waters and sunshine, paradise. And I'm transported to my phone trying to figure out how do I respond to this guy's text because he ain't happy with me. Anyone relate to something like that? Worry takes you out of the moment. Worry will take your eyes off of God. That's another way it takes from us. It takes the focus off of our God and onto what? Our problems and ourselves. It gives us this illusion of control that I can solve this problem. Oh, my finances are crunched. Oh, I can solve this. God, I don't need you. I got it. And it gives us this illusion of control, this belief that I can somehow fix it. And what that does is it takes our focus off of our Savior and onto myself. I become self-sufficient rather than God-dependent. Because I'm trying to maintain control in my life. Controlling my kids, controlling the church, controlling my future, controlling my health, controlling my conflicts, my relationships. Control, 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 worry, faith, trust. All of these things are so intertwined and linked together. That's why in the middle of this conversation about worry, Jesus pops this little question in there. Why do you have so little faith? Did anyone catch that when Katie read it? Verse 30, he's talking about worry and always stressed out about this, 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 this. And then he pops this little question. Why do you have so little faith? Because he's making the connection that our worry is linked to our faith because our worry is about us taking control and not trusting an invisible God that we can't see. Oh, God, I know you love me, but I don't know if I can trust you in this. I can solve this problem. We wouldn't say it like that, but we feel it. And when we make worry the driving factor, that anxiety is driving us to solve these problems and be the God of our lives, takes our eyes off of God and onto ourselves, onto our problems. And I'm not trusting more in God. Who am I trusting in? Myself. The third thing that I think worry takes from us, and maybe there's more, but these are just three that I, I came up with, with this week, is it takes my energy. When I'm anxious, I'm exhausted. Mentally, physically, relationally, emotionally, exhausted. Can anyone relate to that? Just that feeling. Constant motion. And you may have a desk job that you never get up from, so I'm not talking about physical motion. Just that internal motion. You might be a little kid, and all you do is go to school and play sports and stuff. I'm not talking about physical motion. I'm talking about that internal stress you put on yourself because a test is coming up or because a problem is coming up or you're in the midst of conflict or how do I solve this and how do I fix this? And I'll tell you what, when we're wrestling with that, we're struggling with that, we're holding on, we're churning on those things, it takes our energy. Worry is exhausting, and we will burn out because we're constantly trying to figure these things out on our own. Worry takes life, but Jesus, he wants to give life. And why? Because Jesus loves you deeply. He loves you so much. And in this passage, we see how much God would love you. He draws our attention onto two things, flowers and birds. Okay, but why? 
because he loves you. Look at the way he talks about the birds. In verse 26, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to them, to him, than they are? Aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? What is Jesus saying there? You're valuable to God. You matter to God. The world doesn't orbit around you. <laughs> let's, let's be clear on that, right? The world doesn't orbit around me, but God loves me, and I matter to God. I'm valuable to God. The birds are taken care of, but they aren't made in his image. You are more valuable than the birds. So next time you see a bird, you know, I'm more valuable than you. You're like, go and yell at that bird. More valuable. What is it telling? It tells you that you are loved by this God. Verse 30, he talks about the flowers, and I think we as Skagit Valley residents are going to resonate with this passage so deeply because we're the home of the Tulip Festival. Here today and gone tomorrow, hallelujah. Right? One more week. Oh. Verse 30, and if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers or tulips that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. God would care so much about a flower, to make a flower so beautiful. Think of how much he cares about you. Intricately planning and thinking and caring for you in that way because he loves you, because he values you, because he cares for you. Jesus is drawing us to this to say, I wanna give you a stability, a peace, a wholeness in life, not so that you can just live life in luxury, but it's because I love you so deeply. I care for you. Let's change something from rocking our lives away to finding stability in the presence of Jesus because he loves us that much. And what does he give us? He gives us a challenge to do life differently. Verse 31 and 34, he says, so don't worry about these things. Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today telling us, like, do something different. Don't do what everybody else does. Everybody else is stressing out about life. I got something better for you, something different for you. You don't have to constantly be in that churning state. And he's gonna show us how to do that in verse 33. What does he say? Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. What does that mean? Pursue the kingdom of God. Pursue where God is Lord, where Jesus is king. Pursue his kingdom over my kingdom. Follow him. How do we do that? How do we seek the presence of God? How do we seek the kingdom of God? Variety of different ways, right? And some of us that are task people, doers, anxious maybe even, what are we, what are we thinking? We read that verse and instantly we're thinking, okay, Sean, here comes my to-do list. Here's Six things I got to do. I got to pray. I got to read. I got to journal. I got to fast. I got to give. I got to serve. I got to bring people to church. I got to do this, this, this. And there's a, there's a whole bunch of ways that we can seek the, seek the kingdom of God. 
But this morning, I want us to seek the kingdom of God by seeking his presence. To talk about being in the presence of Jesus, not just doing something for Jesus. I want to read a couple of Psalms here. Verse 46, or chapter 46, verse 10 in the Psalms, and 47, verse 7. It says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Chapter 47, verse 7. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. This is a tough, tough thing for us. How many of you struggle with the idea of, okay, Sean, you want me to be still in the presence of God? You want me to, I'm a doer. I want to get stuff done. I want to task. I'm stressed out. Let's solve problems. Let's make to-do lists. Let's make pros and cons lists. Let's get things done. And yet, when we say, seek first the kingdom of God, you're telling me to stop, to be quiet, to be still. That seems counterintuitive. It seems contradictory. I don't see how that's possible. But what we're doing is we're saying, I want to seek first the presence of Jesus. I want to seek his kingdom, not my own. And I want to seek, in doing that, I just want to be with Jesus. I don't want to do for Jesus. I don't want to be busy for Jesus. I just want to sit and be. To me, that is seeking the kingdom of God because I'm seeking where Jesus is Lord And he is Lord of my life. He is Lord of this world. I'm going to stop and be with him. In that, he might tell me to do something. And he goes on to say, go live righteously and follow me and implement these things, right? But seeking the kingdom of God can simply be what these psalms say, sitting in his presence. Being still and knowing that he is God and I am not. That's what I want to talk about this morning. That's what I want to give us as a challenge to do this morning as we talk about seeking the kingdom of God. Because for me, this is a part of my story over the last two weeks. Two two weeks ago, I was uh, going through my week as I normally would, and I was talking to a pastor, mentor, supervisor of mine. And over the phone, he said, Sean, you sound like you got a lot going on. And he's like, Sean, what do you need? And where did my brain go? Instantly into, okay, Tim, well, this is what I need. I need this, and I need this, and I need this, and I need this. I need to get this task done. I need to solve this problem. I need to resolve this. I need to fix this. I need to recruit this. I need to hire this. I need to, right? Some of us, our brains just go right into that mode, problem solving. And he stopped me right there, and he just said, that's all great. That's not what I'm asking. I'm asking you, what does your soul need? Tim, I don't know. He said, well, what fills your cup? I said, getting stuff done. <laughs> Checking things off the checklist, right? Anybody say, like, on your to-do list, say, make to-do list, just so you can check it? <laughs> I feel good. That fills me up. He said, no, what fills your soul? And he said very lovingly, and I love that God puts people in our lives that can see our blind spots when we can't. He says, Sean, 
you sound tired, and you need to pause. And he didn't say it like this, but really what he was telling me to do was, you've been seeking the kingdom of Hub City. You've been seeking the kingdom of Sean. You need to seek the kingdom of God. You need to seek the presence of Jesus, not the presence of task, of problem solving. And he said, I strongly encourage you to find somebody to speak for you, get out of the pulpit, and take a break. Hit the pause button. And I said, but Tim, what about this? And what about that? What about this? Oh, I got, I, got, I got this going on. I got this going on. We're doing this. And he's like, okay, Sean, that's great. He said, but if your church cannot function without you for two weeks, something's wrong. And I share that because I want you to know my heart is to build a church, to, to empower a church, to encourage a church that, that functions not on my personality because I didn't die for the church and I won't die for the church. Jesus did that. And we want to build a church around Jesus. And so he was really challenging me. And he said, take, take a, hit a pause button, take two weeks off. I said, but what do I go do? And he said, what fills you up? I said, I don't know. <laughs> he said, then get away. And I talked to April about this, and she was so gracious and supportive and said, let's accommodate however we can make this happen with Little League and sports and kids and life and all of this stuff. And she, she kept the plates spinning and said, let's, let's get you out. Got a little Airbnb getaway at the bottom of Woodby Island where it was quiet. It was very quiet. I'd never been out there. Went to church to attend two of my friends' churches just to be, just to worship, just to hear the word, just to not be in charge of anything. And in those few days away and, and in my time, I was able to stop. And the challenge was seeking first the kingdom of God, right? Just seeking to be with Jesus. What's going to fill me up? And so there were times where I'd put worship on my phone and, and blast it through this little Bluetooth speaker because I like it loud because I don't want to hear myself. Blast it. It's super loud to fill this Airbnb. Other times it was going on a walk, pray, read. I told you I read these books. Spend some time in scripture, spend some time in quiet, journaling, asking myself really hard questions about why am I so stressed? Why am I so angry? Why am I feeling overwhelmed? And did it solve all my problems? Did I get life-altering solutions to all of the things that were stressing me out? No. But what it did do is it began to peel back some of what was going on below the surface that I don't know if I would have seen if I had just kept going. I am the type of person that will just keep their head down and push. Just push through. And what Jesus was challenging me to do was just stop and be. Recognizing these deeply rooted issues of I, I, I'm a producer. I like to make things happen. I like to get things done. I want to I want to have something to show for my efforts. And I ask myself the question, why? Why am I a doer? Why am I a producer? Why do I want to make something? I began realizing some deeply hidden motivations that, you know what? I deeply want to be affirmed and validated in what I do in life. Whether I'm coaching Little League or pastoring a church or 
caring for my kids or loving my wife. I want to be validated. I want to be loved. I want to be affirmed that I'm doing a good job. And deep down below that, because I asked myself the question, why after that? And I had to, I'm, I'm going to sit because I literally like, I had to sit and think about that. And it was, it became very clear in the silence because I'm scared everybody's going to leave. I have a deeply rooted fear of abandonment. And I've talked about that periodically. But I hustle and I work and I stress because I'm scared that people are going to leave. My wife, my kids, you, I am petrified of being alone. And so I will work so hard to make you like me. Do I realize that when I'm going? No. So I needed to stop. And in the stillness, Jesus began to speak those truths of life to say, you're not loved for what you do. You, you, you aren't loved by Jesus because you contribute. You're more valuable than the birds. You're more valuable than the flowers. You're loved, you're cared for, you're valuable. But worry keeps me working. Worry keeps me churning. But it was in that quiet. And in all of those moments of, aha, I get it. Oh, that's, that's what he's trying to say. It's in all of that that I think one of the things God was teaching me over these last two weeks is that he was reminding me, he is God and I am not. And there was freedom for me in that. He is God and I am not. My job is obedience. My job is to follow him. The outcomes, that's God's business. Can I relinquish that control? And you know what I began to feel over these last two weeks? Re-energized excited, a newfound motivation for what I do and why I do it and why I love people. Why I love teaching the word of God is, 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 is not so that you'll like me. What I discovered again was that I want you to experience the love of God like I have. I want you to experience and know that God loves you deeply. Not so that you'll like me and attend our church and give and serve and make this the best thing ever so that you will experience the love of God that can change your life. And it, man, it, it just, God just broke some stuff in me that I needed. He breathed life into me because worry wants to take my life, but Jesus, he wants to give life. Worry wants to take life, Jesus wants to give life. And I wanna revisit just for a moment those, those really fun truths that we found from Mr. Richard Rohr, some, some really inspiring things, right? Things that you're definitely gonna post on Facebook, like, life is hard. What a pick-me-up. But I wanna take those, and I wanna infuse the gospel, because worry, those are the things we worry about, and that's gonna take, take, take from us, but Jesus wants to give life to us in those areas. 
What does he give to us? How does he change us? How does being in the presence of God infuse something good into our lives, right? And re-energize and revitalize something within us. Life is hard. Yes, I get it. Life is hard. But guess what? Jesus gives me strength to endure. Anybody else believe that? Life is hard, but Jesus gives me strength to endure. He gives life. In my weakness, he is strong. He knows my pain. He knows my hardship because he's been there. He knows what it's like to be abandoned and, and, and alone. So my deepest, darkest fears, Jesus can relate. He's walked in it more than I have. You are not important. Yeah, that might be true. But guess what? Jesus gives me love, value, and care. That's the gospel, isn't it? So I might not be important to other people. So people in my world may think, hey, you're not a big deal, or you're not that good, or you're not this, or you're not that, whatever. You know what? The God of the universe looks at each and every one of you and says, I love you, I care for you, you matter to him. That's the gospel. Your life is not about you? Yep, that's true, darn right. Life is not about you because Jesus is going to give you a new vision to serve rather than be served, a passion to care for others. And in doing so, you will discover that that love is not meant to just be contained. It is meant to be given away to other people. And you will find life when you lay your life down for someone else. So yeah, life isn't always about me, but there's something to be discovered that is so good. Jesus gives life, not just for me, but through me. Number four, you're not in control. Yeah, I get it. I, I want to be in control. Everybody wants to be in control, right? I'm not in control, but Jesus gives me permission to surrender. Some of you thought I was going to say Jesus gives you control. No. No, Jesus doesn't give you control. He gives you permission to surrender because the gospel is about surrendering our lives to following him, surrendering to the people around me, surrendering to my brokenness is saying, I don't, I don't want to stay this way anymore. Giving God the control of my life. The gospel is about surrendering to Jesus, that Jesus can be in control of my life. And trusting in that surrender that I can learn he is bigger, he is stronger, he is more powerful, he is more present, he is more all-knowing. Maybe he's better at this than I am. Yep, he is. And in that, I find peace. When I realize that he is God and I am not, I find more peace. Jesus is the God of this church. I am not. Jesus is the center of this church. I am not. You know what that does for me? It doesn't just like, okay, I don't have to do anything. It gives me peace, though, to know he's the one leading the people, caring for the people, loving the people, died for the people, forgives the people, gives eternity to the people, saves the people. My job is just to love people. Gives me peace because he's given me permission to surrender that control or that illusion of control. Number five, you're going to die. Yep, but Jesus gives eternal life. That is the gospel, isn't it? Yes, Jesus gives eternal life. Death to my body is not the end, but it is just the beginning. Beginning of eternity, beginning of paradise, beginning of forever being with him experiencing eternal life. So instead of stressing about how we're gonna reverse these hardships and these hard truths to swallow, 
What if we allowed Jesus into those things? What if we sat with Jesus for a moment and said, Jesus, my life is hard. He would say, yeah, no, duh. Jesus, I'm not in control. He'd say, yep, you want to give it up? Jesus, I'm going to die. Uh-huh. But to stop and allow Jesus into that hardship, you will find life. Rather than rocking and rolling back and forth trying to figure it out on your own and be the savior of your own life and be the God of your own life and the solution to your life, can we rest and be in the presence of God and seek to be in his kingdom rather than our own? And so what I would like us to do, uh, we're going to end with a song of worship here in a moment. Before we do that, I want us to take a moment and just focus on scripture and meditate on a scripture together. This was something that I, I, I tried doing periodically and something that, you know, my rhythms were off. And so I learned some new rhythms and one of the things was focusing on scripture and my breathing. And you hear the word meditation and it, it, it conjures up all kinds of ideas and thoughts and connotations to people. I'll tell you what meditation is. It is just focusing on something for a prolonged period of time. And if you are a worrier, you are a meditator. <laughs> if you know how to worry, you know how to meditate. Can I just say that? You've meditated on your finances a lot this week. You've meditated on your email a lot this week. Can we stop meditating on the worries of life and can we meditate on this scripture for a second? This was something, like I said, I started to do, and I believe you will recognize moments where you are triggered this week. I found it. I, oh, man, I got 10 days off. It was great. I got to go be with Jesus, change some of my patterns and rhythms, open up my email on Monday. Oh, that wave of anxiety came back. That worry, that doubt, that to-do list started growing again. But I navigated those things differently because I, I started doing what I've been thinking about, which is seeking the kingdom of God, stopping and being in the presence of Jesus. So I would literally stop. I didn't stop for two days. I stopped for two minutes, and I'd just say, okay, Jesus, really stressed about this text. Okay, Jesus, really stressed about all these to-do to -do lists and emails. What? And I would just rest because I found those moments where I was triggered. And in that moment of stopping and stillness, I would recognize he is God and I am not. He is God and I'm not. And it gave me peace. It gave clarity. Sometimes it gave me action steps out of that time. And so that's what we're going to do. I'm going to read this, this scripture. And I'm going to read it multiple times. This psalm, Psalm 47, 7. I'm going to read this a, a handful of times. Each time that I read it, I'm going to adjust it a bit. I'm going to remove some of the words towards the end, and we're going to end with it just being B. So I'm going to read it in its entirety, and with each reading, it's going, to, it's going to get shorter and shorter, and with each reading, I'm going to pause, and what I would like you to do is to simply close your eyes and breathe. There was something about taking a deep breath, physiologically, emotionally. There's something God knows right, about our bodies and taking a deep breath that can be very calming. So I'm going to read the verse, and I want you to take a deep breath for about five seconds and exhale. 
And I want you to sit in that silence. I want you to sit in that stillness. For some of you, I want you to sit in that awkwardness. Because for some of you, it might feel a little awkward. And I want you to focus on the words of the scripture. I want you to focus on Jesus being right there with you. I want you to focus on the worries that you've been carrying and laying those things down. And in a matter of moments, as we just read a scripture and, and, and take a deep breath with Jesus, I want you to just let go of those things. Psalm 47, 7. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait. Be still in the presence of the Lord. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you want to take your next step in following Jesus, fill out the digital connect card at thehubcitychurch.com connect. We'd love to celebrate what Jesus is doing in your life. 